0: Hello, welcome Mm -hmm. to Swimming with Sharks, the podcast from Sail Sharks. I'm Mark Chapman and later on we'll get to know some of the Sail Sharks women's players. First in this episode, it is all about women's sport, how we can grow it, and what different sports can learn from each other. Uh, so with us for this one, Rachel Taylor, who captained Wales and played in three World Cups during her 67 caps, and she's now a women's performance coach here at Sale. Uh, Stacey Copeland represented her country at both football and boxing, played in an FA Cup final and won a Commonwealth title in the ring as well. And Gavin Makele is the managing director of Manchester City women's football club let me start with you Rachel I'm just on sale because this is a Sale Sharks uh, podcast how would you describe the overall environment around the women's team
1: god yeah uh, ever-changing is probably the best way um, developing moving at a rate that we probably weren't expecting and um, but it's also been brilliant, you know, like with the, we're so lucky to share the same facility as the men's team uh, and the academy and have, you know, incredible facilities at our, at our fingertips. And also like the the knowledge and the wealth of experience of people that work here also supporting the women's programme.
0: Um, is it good? It's moving at a rate quicker than you expected or can sometimes that be a slight disadvantage?
1: No, it is good. I've been waiting for it for a while. <laughs> um, but no, it, it, it is It's moving forward, Um, obviously the growth of the game is huge at the moment within the UK uh, and across the world, you know, recently just had a World Cup, you know, audience figures get smashed regularly every time, Uh, attendance figures get smashed every time, it's just growing so much, it's just how we probably put a bit of the governance in and the structure behind that to support it so it's not a bit of a boom and bust scenario.
0: just one more on this, and then we'll, we'll widen it out. Obviously, you you come from Wales and a country where where rugby is the national sport, particularly for men. I don't know how much it was when you were growing up. When you come to the north and rugby union and Sale has this massive catchment area and such an opportunity across the north, is the biggest challenge to put rugby union in the minds of eight nine ten-year-old girls as it may be for eight nine ten-year-old boys in this region
1: yeah there's there's actually a lot of similarities i'm from north wales um and for anyone with a a, you know an idea of the sort of geography of welsh rugby it's exactly the same everything is cardiff based um the majority of the rugby is played in south wales all the training camps you know best facilities uh Fixtures, tournaments, anything like that is held down south, so it does make it incredibly difficult if you're a player from North Wales um, to manage that that probably amount of commitment and dedication that's required to go. You know, back from when I was playing, you'd, you'd probably be looking at about an eight-hour round trip to get to training, um, and then you know, you'd be expected to get up and go to work the next day. So it's pretty tough. Obviously, there's there's a lot of similarities when you come to the north um, of England, probably with clash of of codes so rugby codes is obviously uh rugby league has got some strongholds up here but yeah it's very much our the you know the forefront of our mind at the moment to share what we do here and put it out there and make sure that we're we are getting in front of those children in school you know whether that be female or male and making sure that they're aware that women's rugby exists up here
0: uh, you would argue that's probably the biggest challenge for for any sport I mean either boys or girls actually the environment in schools and school sport is very tough at the moment but but for girls in particular to have the same opportunities at primary school and going into secondary school that boys have
2: yeah I mean it's miles better than when I was at school because although the ban on women's football was lifted in 1971 the FA didn't officially recognize it till 1993 so when I was at primary school in the 80s you weren't allowed to play with the boys, that was the, the rule, but there weren't any teams or structures for girls, so essentially you couldn't really play. So my first game resulted in me being sort of someone shouting across the pitch, like, oh, it's a girl, you know, and I had to leave and it was, I didn't have the words to articulate how that felt at the time, cause I was seven or eight years old, but obviously felt really humiliated and like a weirdo, really, just for doing the thing that I loved. Nowadays, that's very different. I mean, like many of my generation, I then subsequently went home had my hair cut short, pretended to be a boy and and cracked on from there. So thankfully it didn't stop me. But nowadays you can be a girl, have a girl name, because they used to give us boy names back then uh, to fit in and, and, you know, then you could play. So it is much, much better. I, I will say that first. However... Uh, in terms of the curriculum, for example, it is still very genderised. That boys in most schools still attending to do rugby, football, and cricket, and girls rounders, netball, and so on. It's it's very really both boys and girls should be having a go at all of those sports and just you know where the what they enjoy most and where the skill set is based to encourage that.
0: Um, you, you raised your eyes at, at me then. and I, I, I was listening. To, I don't know what you were thinking. I was Craigie, that 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 sounds like something that was happening before I was born, and then I and then you check yourself and think, blimey, I was I was alive when that when that was happening. It sounds like something from Victorian England. Does that? It does. It's just, it? it's
1: just the boy's name, bit. no, but like you yeah. know, similar experience, I suppose. From from playing, I played really young. Uh, joined a rugby club at under nines. Um, had been there probably since about five or six years old, and exactly the same thing, like isolated. Female, you know, I was lucky in, in rugby that it was a, a very welcoming environment and people really encouraged that and supported it. But, you know, we, we have, there's debates now around what age group they should stop playing mixed rugby. Um, and exactly the same probably across, across, across um, curriculum, you know, it's, it's not really on the agenda,
0: unfortunately. Um, does football have an advantage, do you think, uh, as the national game?
3: I think it's probably more seen and it's more visible, in the mind's eye of, of everyone. I still, I, I agree with the guys. I think it's it's still an issue in the schools and some of that is because the teachers themselves are not trained to be able to deliver any, necessarily any sport, particularly in primary school age. When you move to high school, that obviously becomes a bit different. Um, so having those experts in, being able to come and engage with kids and boys or girls to be able to develop them in whichever sport that they choose is, is fundamental. And I think some of that's come from, you know the government and what they see has been important and within the curriculum itself. But I, w- I would definitely say that probably football does have a slight advantage because it is a bit more, I guess, popular and seen as being the the global game, if you like. Um, but all of the things that has been mentioned here, I think women's football is has had those challenges and still continues to have those challenges as
0: well. Just on the uh, on the mixed teams and then the the single sex teams. When I don't what what's your youngest girl team now is that So under, we have an under 11s you have under 11s yeah. so in the main do you find now with your under 11s girls that they have come from a girls team the majority or is it still mixed cuz cuz I I find this a re- it's a really interesting subject for for the younger age group.
3: Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of them probably have either maybe not even played for a team. They they may have come through some kind of um, recreational football clinic, you know, that they go to, or or they might have played in a boy in a boys' team. Uh, fundamentally, because there's not a lot a lot of girls' teams still established in the local area, although that is growing the Level is still not as it is to be able to really develop young girls at that age, so they need to go and try different things. And okay, actually,
0: I could put my Altrinum hat on here. And Altrinum <laughs> Football Club, who have 500 girls in yes, the girls section. I know, I live <laughs> around there. I've seen <laughs> Sorry, it. I might as well use this platform to <laughs> shout about Altrinum as well.
3: But I think the interesting thing is here is that Stacey was right when she was you were only able to play against boys up to a certain age. Now it's come a bit full circle where actually the FA are telling us. Our girls' teams of under-18s—they need to be playing against boys to help their development more.
0: I, I, it's, I, I this is where I find it really quite interesting because you know I've got a, a son who's nearly 20 and and two daughters who are 15 and nearly nine. My nine-year-old would never want to do anything mixed. She's comfortable playing in a girls' football team with girls. My middle my middle child, my 15-year-old daughter, was was happy with with mixed stuff and my 20 year old son grew up with playing against a girl who may be on a boys team and certainly in cricket with some very very good girls who were on boys teams and sophie eccleston who's the greatest one-day bowler in the world still plays men's league cricket around here so what are the advantages and disadvantages of mixed teams at an early age
1: yeah i used to do i used to do some um Community work when I worked at the Welsh Rugby Union, and um, they started to introduce girls' cluster clubs, which at the time was a girls' only rugby uh, and in the same age brackets to try and encourage players. I think they had a three year age band rather than a two year age band, but this, the offering was actually really different. It was around uh, touch rugby, maybe cricket, um, football, multi sport basically, like donor sports, how you can get that skill set across. And it was brilliant, but it it introduced loads of girls to rugby that's obviously stayed in rugby. But it was very different to the players that had experienced mixed rugby. And whether that's a club environment or a coaching environment or just the game itself was very different. And I don't know I don't know what the best scenario is because you would never want to turn those players away that have come into the game that have just just only known girls only. But having the mixed rugby from a really young age definitely improves skill set game understanding um, this is a proper sweeping statement but like yeah. usually are uh, more comfortable with the contact element of the game than those that come in from a separate girl's only point maybe from an, an older age group because I think definitely something I saw is that the the younger you can get comfortable tackling or being tackled being on the floor, getting off the floor all those kind of parts of rugby. It's actually a lot easier to do that from a younger age than to come in and then suddenly, oh, you know, you've got to throw yourself on the floor. Well, some people, you know, there's also automatically a fear of being yeah. injured. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's the right one and what's the wrong one. And maybe over time, with the coaches, with the environments, with the facilities that's provided, the girls-only stuff can go. And it's not. It's not just about small-sided games, fun. You know, like you've got to get that element of competi- yeah. like competition, and that's what girls want. You know, the, the girls here, like, they'll do anything to win the game. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. not. It's not necessarily just about moving and, and fitness, and that, but there's a, there's a place for that. You know, there's even sort of rugby fit stuff now, like, and there's definitely a place for it. It's just how we, I guess, how we channel the girls that want that competitive rugby union contact experience in the right direction and give them the right right coaching support to get there.
2: I think there is a place uh, for both, for boys only, girls only, and mixed. But for me, from me, whether it was looking back as a kid or as an adult, it was always about the environment. You can be in a gym like I have been most of my life, in, certainly in boxing, and been the only female and felt completely at home because it's a good environment. And then you can be in a team or a gym that's just with women and feel horrible <laughs> because they're horrible. So I think um, you know that's that's not happened to me, thankfully, but I imagine it could. So to be honest, I think it's less about the, the gender or, or sex of the the individuals it's more about the environment that they create if you've got a coach and the people leading those teams who are fantastic with those children boys or girls it's going to be a great development environment for them you know boys can learn something from girls and vice versa um, and each other so uh, same with adults so I, i think a lot of it is the environment that's created if it's a a coach that's not great at dealing with the kids and they've not got a good environment which we, we've sadly all seen particularly at kids level um, it's not going to be good uh, so yeah i think it, i think it's there's a place for it, physical development and tactics and all that yeah but i think in terms of your enjoyment of it and what you get out of it and reaching your potential is based on the environment that's created if
0: i move it on to the professional environment uh, how would you describe the professional environment at city and the balance between the men's and the women's intense, <laughs> as all high performance environments are.
3: Um, constantly wanting to challenge each other, get better and improve. And we were very fortunate with obviously the facilities that we have. And, you know, and um, I think m- m- most women's teams in the in the WSL anyway have facilities that are of a, a real high level. You know, you, you see where Chelsea train at Cobham and. And Arsenal down at the Colony and Leicester have moved into Leicester's own training ground now as well. So it is growing in that space. For us, though, the the mix is a it's a real camaraderie around. It. Everyone wants to see each team doing well, whether that's the men's first team, the women's team, the the EDS, or the academy teams. There's a real togetherness, and you know we, we remember seeing like Phil being in the building along when he was 13. Phil Foden when he was 13, 14, and amongst you know, our first team players now, like Steph Orton and Jill Scott and players like that. And that, that relationship that they build and continue to build and that they will always have um, is really strong. And I think it's, it, it, can only, it can only be a good thing. I think there's, there's maybe a time where it, but it maybe serves its purpose in terms of having that mixed environment as the game continues to grow because particularly where we are, we have to be mindful that we are a performance team as well and when we are in and around the academy environment as well and everything else that is a pure development environment and there and the cultures a difference and and everything else so it has it it has its opportunities but there are also some things that we just need to be careful of as the game continues to grow
0: and and did that relation you talk about obviously say phil at 13 and and that relationship over at, over at the academy is that something that the I mean, it's not that new a facility now, is it? How no. old is it? Eight, Ten, years. eight, eight, yeah, eight years, years old. Yeah. Did that facility immediately, once you've got that and you're all in the same place, then that environment naturally grows?
3: Yeah, I mean, when 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 um, City Football Academy was designed and built, we didn't necessarily have a women's team or there was no real plans to bring the women's team and professionalise them, so... We had to do a bit of tweaking to the, to the building and the facility, or even like things like changing rooms and toilets and entry and exit points and, and things like that for safeguarding reasons, obviously. Um, but we were, we were probably slightly fortunate in the move because we were in Platt Lane where uh, the boys' academy were previously and the men's, men's team were here. Um, so the women's team came actually came under the umbrella of the academy when we first started back in 2013 so it was a it was slightly easier in terms of the culture that we developed and this togetherness amongst the staff and the player groups and boys and girls um so the move into that facility was was pretty it was pretty easy to be honest
0: And do you have some you have something similar here now with you all under one roof i'm guessing
1: yeah i'd probably say there's some similarities to that so probably you know maybe we're about 10 years behind judging from your 2013 comment but um yeah like we're incredibly lucky to to be here and have those facilities and i think you're right there's some stuff that needs tweaking and it will be tweaked as our as our league develops as our as our sport develops but yeah those those collisions with players and corridors during training sessions you know we've had some coaching sessions from from the guys that have come out recently that this week um it just really helps. Like you can't put I I don't know, you can't put a value on it. You know, like they'll come and deliver at the training session. They might bump each, bump into each other, having a, making a cup of coffee upstairs, or or you know, in the chill out sort of area. And then suddenly, that's that just helps so much. And once you get that relationship built, then suddenly it's you know, had the fixture go on the on Sunday. Did you try so and so from training session? Did you find like yeah? And it might just be oh, what's your experience of this? And then suddenly you've got you open this door to just like. whole other world of wealth and experience and understanding and that's that's probably what we've had the most success of this season for sure is just that in like being embedded here just really helps us rub off on the guys the coaches the staff there's there's a general like investment in us now you know everyone will check in on the weekend you know weekend's results and that kind of stuff and it's been huge it's been huge for the players because they've they feel that that's a massive step forward in what value they can bring to sale as well you know it's you don't want to be here just for the sake of being here and don't feel like you add anything and i think those conversations and those relationships certainly is it's a two way and and the players really appreciate it
2: that that's what i experienced in america and sweden when i played football over there um which was a long time before we had anything like that here um but that's exactly what it was like we all used the same facilities strength and conditioning facilities the same physio rooms, you know, the same pitch, same training facilities. And those, like you were just saying, those conversations and interactions went on all the time and it breaks down the them and us. You're just football players or basketball players or whatever you might be. Um, and it made a big difference. And in Sweden, I found it that it was a totally different environment because uh, of the very different cultures. But that bit was very similar that it was just the same. You're just a player and you developed in, you know, what holistically, just like men or f- male
3: or female yeah and i, I was just gonna add it was just that drawn of people's experience and expertise who are maybe not necessarily in your program so you know so like someone who a player that's maybe rehabbing but just having a conversation with someone else that's in the building who understands the situation but it's not day-to-day part of your program if that makes sense i think that that really relieves some tension and pressure and putting in gives a difference of a, a, you know a different view and a different opinion for players and I think that's only beneficial
0: so tra- training sessions the male, the male Tom Curry's done was one wasn't he who who took a training session for the women
1: he took it very seriously my yeah. he even, I think he, w- he taped that, a water so bottle to his <laughs> arm at one point I don't recall ever doing that so he should and that's what you yeah. wanted I'm guessing yeah and it's it's great, like you know. Usually, one of the the senior men's or academy men's coaches will come out as well. So they've, we get them. We have a lot of shared language and a lot of sh- shared ideas in the way that we want to play, which is brilliant. But yeah, you know, having someone like like Tom come in, and it and it's and it's generally not during the session. You know, when that when that coaching session happens, yeah, great. It's you know, it's it's detailed and it's his expertise and. Coincidentally, it was breakdown area, you know, you'd be shocked to hear, um, but it was great. It was more like the chats, you know, to the pitch, from the pitch, the little bits of just asking, you know, and it'd just be like asking a question or, you know, do you find this? And it is that you, you literally cannot put a value on how important that is sometimes. And then, you know, the next, the next day or p- following that game, it'll be, you know, to get, you know, to get any turnovers on the weekend. And then just knowing that you've got that relationship straight away can really help as well. Um, but no, we've been really fortunate. We've done some stuff, you know. Uh, we've got some specific, you know, areas in sport that requires a certain skill skill set. And like I said, being in this environment and under this roof, you've got you know some of the some of the best coaches, you know, in the world. So I'm um, some of the best players in the world. So we'd be crazy not to tap into to their experience and have it. And it's, it's it's huge for the players because they feel like they're getting that real individualised development, which is, which is really important.
0: Uh, and what what the yeah. ideal situation eventually is, is for both the men and women to tap into each other's expertise. So I'm involved with the, the, the Manchester Originals in the 100, which we started from scratch, which was great because it gives you the opportunity to do everything correctly. And in our first season, we've always run it as one club, two teams, as a women's team and a men's team. And during the first season that we had... Our men cap- men's captain at the time was struggling with his captaincy, and he actually tapped our women's captain on the shoulder and said, "Can we go for a coffee so I can pick your brains on captaincy?" And that's that's the area. I mean, there's a lot of history to work through first, isn't there, to get to that where everybody uses each other for their expertise.
2: Yeah, and that—that's it. He said, it, "I think you were just saying, weren't you, Gavin? That it was different. It's somebody who's who gets it, who's who's had those experiences, but is just outside." your bubble slightly removed a bit, like one degree, and that, that can be massively helpful. And also maybe they just have a, a different approach to it. I don't think men and women think necessarily as completely differently as we like to make out. There are some differences between some men and women, but you know that that player can really help, and, and that, that's a great thing for that captain to be able to go outside his own team and speak to somebody who... Is part of that inner circle, but in a different way. I think that's massively valuable.
3: We've seen, and we've seen some of that actually. You know, even with our players, so like an under 18s boy talking to someone like Steph, who's captained yeah. England at a World Cup, who has a you know a, a, a kind of a media profile and everything else, and just tapping into that experience of you know how did it feel? How did you deal with that pressure situation? You know, all of those types of things. That
0: those conversations happen. When I asked Rachel at the start about can it be going the pace be going too quickly at times. When you look at women's football at, at the moment, obviously it's it's exploded, it's grown, and yet there are still going to be problems like frozen pitches in, in you know, and whether, it, you know, our teams sustainable, where should they play, et cetera, et cetera. Is it, how do you, how do you control the growth to match where you are at as a competition, let's say? I think
3: it's very challenging, very challenging. To to be honest, um, I've often compared women's football over the last few years to like running on an escalator. You know, you can write a five-year strategy, you rip it up after six months because the games change so quickly that you have to redo it. Ultimately, um, yeah. Listen, it's it's we're in the best place that we've ever ever been as a, as a sport for sure. And, I think all of the women's sports driving each drive each other on. You know, we've seen that in cricket and rugby, and in athletics and tennis. We can all learn from each other and we I think you are seeing the benefit of, of like kind of this this siege mentality if if you like. But where we go in women's football, I think we're probably at a at a bit of a critical juncture going forward. I think, you know, there's there's lots of conversations around I and mean, the, the FA publicly stated that they don't want to see themselves as being the Um, the owners of the the WSL and the championship in the future and and I think the clubs would agree with that uh, as well and the key to that is, well, who is and how does that look and what does the competition look like? What does uh, the long-term sustainability of the football clubs look like? Because, you know, costs are growing, revenues are growing too, but maybe not at the same rate. so. It is something that we need to really um, be mindful of as the game
0: continues to grow, because it is only going to do that, 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 and that. On the commercial side, do you are you separate as a, as a as a team as a on the women's side to, to the men's side? Are there some areas you cross over to some to some sponsors only want to come to you and not and not to the men? How does it work? We probably approach it in a bit of a hybrid model. Uh, to be honest, I think there's there's
3: some i guess key commercial assets that would go across both and and the whole club you know i front of shirt um, training kit partner things like things like that really because th- those key partners are the ones that are going to really activate both men's and women's teams the the worst thing that you can do is have a partner come in who maybe puts money into the women's team on the on the balance sheet but they're not going to activate their rights ultimately so therefore then the visibility of the game's not growing they're not really getting much out of the value of the partnership as well and we're really not getting much out of it either so we've really taken the approach of okay um if if it is a part of a wider deal attached to the men's club or city football group for that matter then there has to be some real desire to want to have women's sport within it and women's football um but i guess since the since the euros and probably actually since 2019 world cup where you know england obviously did really well in, in that in that tournament we've seen more and more brands starting to wake up to actually this is an uncluttered market for um and it's a cheaper market to get our brand and noticed and so we've we've probably got a few i should say um One's waiting to be signed that are solely, solely women's partners only. And, you know, for us, we're trying to run it sustainably. 90% of our revenue comes from commercial partnerships and it's a real key, it's a real key area for us and it it is growing, um, but just probably not at the rate as, as I was saying that we would
0: hope for, but there's more interest, which is the good thing. What do you need from, from your governing body? Do you think to that that would help? i read an article actually just on the way in here that they're they're putting various maternity rules in place and childcare in place and and so on and so forth. But what do you need more from the governing body to help make the sport sustainable?
1: I think it's probably looking at other worlds and other sports and how they're growing at, at the rate that they're growing and, and yes we want to expect the same of course we do like we'd love for the same thing to happen but we probably don't want to have to fall into the same mistakes so if there's ways of I suppose speeding that process up but not fall the same mistakes you know there's so so many times it's just compared to, to the men's side of the game but there's so many lessons to learn from the men's side of the game that we don't necessarily just need to go out and replicate it again sure. um, you know in a second time and <laughs> Oh, we wish we, we you know, Wish we'd learned that the first time. But I think, yeah, that would probably be probably be like the best case scenario for us, or the biggest ask would be like, how do we do it without having to force or or go experience those big mistakes? Because the finance side of the game is is massive, and the revenue side of the game isn't quite there yet. But it's it's that balance between and. And who, and who looks after it so you don't create like a boom and bust sort of scenario that we're seeing in the men's game at the moment.
0: I'm so, I, I'm so glad you said that because I was going to lead me on to my next point. I spoke to the FA when the last TV deal was done, which was a blockbuster TV deal for women's football. And they were talking about this and that. And I did a couple of times go, but, but why do you want to be like the Men's game because the men that, that that doesn't work in the men's game, you know, trying to poach kids at five in the men's game or agents or all of that doesn't work. So there's a real there's real opportunity to have the same opportunities, but it can it can actually take all the good bits and try and remove some of the bad bit as yeah, you grow some of these women's team competitions absolutely
2: i think women's sport has a very unique opportunity to do things differently particularly football just because it is the national sport and it can reach people in a way that politics and other societal uh, influences can't you know it, it really gets to the heart of people and so football has a unique opportunity anyway uh, but i think women's sport in general can do things differently you know there's a lot to enjoy from going to women's football for example um it's a very very different experience as a fan than it is for men's football in a in a really positive way so I think you know the players are, are, are very much in touch with with the fans there's a, a real nice connection um for example the the, the way that uh, fans behave and interact uh, is is a joy really and to take I've taken my young nieces along and felt really comfortable taking them to a stadium with 40,000 in But
0: even that Stacy even now there's started to be debates on that and the fans at, at the women's football should there be should it be an away end you know if 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 it's Arsenal Manchester United at the Emirates should there be an away end should there be an away end for the for the Manchester derby so they they're already questioning how the women's game has been for for a long time to say, well, the men's game has an away end, so should the women's game have an away end?
2: And this is the thing, isn't it? Just because it's always been that way doesn't mean it's right. But we tend to just keep doing the same things. That's partly human nature. Um, but I think we're, we're moving along with it. And um, it's the same with any social change. The, the, it has three stages, generally speaking. If you do something different, so if you're the one individual, as we were, you with rugby, me with boxing and football, um, or it's it's a big change that you make, you know, in, in a media outlet or whatever. As a governing body, it's met with ridicule. The first people to do it are always met with ridicule. Then it'll be met. The next stage is discussion. So that discussion part is, well, you know, women's boxing's rubbish, but she's good. You know, or women's football's rubbish, but that team are good. So you get to the discussion phase, and then the third stage, ridicule, discussion, and then is acceptance. That then we accept oh they are capable or if it's something that's been done differently when it comes to fans, media revenue, then eventually we'll go, oh actually that, that's quite a good way of doing it but you have to be brave and courageous. These governing bodies, media outlets and so on uh, and, and leaders you know, in influential decision making positions have to have the courage to believe in what they're doing, believe in doing it differently and be willing to dig in when, you know, through ridicule, through discussion all the way to acceptance and we can do it so differently because sport should only in my opinion ever be i mean it's the most powerful thing on the planet surely for making a difference affecting people's lives it's unreal and we've all seen it in different capacities as you have whether that's on a grassroots level or at the refugee camps that i've been to in, in france and so on and in the most dire situations, never mind, you know, in our lives as elite high performance people, it's phenomenal. It should absolutely be used in that way at every opportunity.
3: I think that piece around acceptance is really interesting because I think we're, we're starting to get, you're starting to see that change happen. You know, the, when, when I started in this role 10 years ago, the, my biggest challenge I thought was changing, challenging the perception of what women's football actually was. And I meant that internally within the, foot, in the club to begin with, as well, as well as externally. And I think we've started to see that the conversations turned away around from oh, women's players can't do X, Y and Z and constantly comparing them to the the male counterparts. Where actually people are now focusing on, did you see that goal? Did you see that piece of skill? Did you see that game? Because it was a high level spectacle of sport. So people are starting to accept it. And that conversation is starting to change. And even the generational piece, you know, the. We're seeing the younger generations who are a lot more gender neutral and balanced. In my when I said, I'm, "I'm going to the, I'm going to the football." He says, "Men's or women's?" He does it. He doesn't automatically think I'm going to watch a men's game. He has to ask the question. And
2: that, and that reminds me of the fan park at Piccadilly last year for the Euros, where I was mostly crying my eyes out for most of the game, <laughs> <laughs> or feeling sick with anxiety. It was horrendous. The last two minutes were great. Before that was horrible. Of course, in reference to the Lionesses game, but the, there was loads of little boys and little girls. And I was thinking, oh, my God, their first memory, we've all got them if you, of whatever sport you're a fan of, you know, your first Rugby World Cup or your first world title fight in boxing or your first World Cup in football, that memory of that goal or that player that that captured your imagination and, and sparked that sort of inspiration. And I was thinking, for all these kids here, that there's nothing like that euphoria of when that ball hits the back of the net for your team and the whole place erupts. There isn't anything like it. And they'll remember, that'll be embedded in their little minds forever. And the thing is about it, like with football, like when, you know, when those goals were scored and Tooney scored her goal, for example, when that ball leaves that player's foot and it's hanging in the air for what seems like hours and hours and you all hold your breath and you're like willing it in with every cell in your body. And then it hits the back of the net. That doesn't matter whose foot that's come from, whether it's a boy's foot, a girl's foot or a big foot. It doesn't matter. It's you. You experience those exact same emotions. And, and that that is why the acceptance piece went a lot further after the Euros, because that's what people experienced that sheer euphoria of sport
0: I also think Gavin's point on his steps on saying you're going to the football men's or women's there are other little things aren't there so if if there's a women's six nations there's a men's six nations it's not just six nations and women's six nations which I think is a big responsibility of the media but I also think it's a big responsibility of the media to um, not patronise everything not immediately I mean it does my nutting when you know covering women's football and somebody says just talk about the atmosphere you go well I'm fed up talking about the atmosphere. Let's talk about the tactics, or talk about why someone's dropped. And I think there's a that's how you normalise in inverted commas how how you cover both men's and women's sport. You you treat them the same. So the women's Premier Fifteens results go in on a Saturday with me in the same way as the Gallagher Premiership results go in.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and it's it's interesting, isn't it? Like with the Six Nations stuff, you know. Now I'll, I'll get asked, stock and, you you know." thoughts on the six nations game and my immediate response is like six nations doesn't start yet because yes. it's like yeah. do you know, but, I, but I, I feel like you have to bite my tongue at times and be like yeah the men's game yeah and yeah. you know it's always it's always sat in the same window until recently you know and it's moved out of its it, the women's i should say six nations has moved to its own sort of um its own little block away from the rest of the tournament so that it has a chance to to stand alone. But obviously, it's always usually been under that banner and with the under 20s competition and as a whole, um, but you're right. It doesn't it, it's one of those, isn't it? Like you want to grow the audience to watch it. So, yeah, put it on at a different time. But then do you lose that that six nations? I'm doing inverted commas um, like feel vibe because it's outside of the, the you know, again, normalized window of when it would be. So it is really difficult. But, you know, having I suppose having the same platform, the same amount of coverage um, has certainly helped drive it. You know, it, you're seeing increased viewers, you know, the, the stadiums that people, are, you know, the teams are playing at are better. You know, the quality of rugby is just getting better and better. And like you said, it should be judged on that. You know, if there's a massive, tu- if, you know, massive turnover in it or, or somebody, you know, takes a tough loss, well, you know, why? It's not just, oh, you know... These guys are here and these guys are here. Like you know, let's let's talk about it. Let's talk about it in the same way we would talk about any any other big defeat or great win in in any sport. You know, football, rugby, boxing, anything.
0: The the so called double headers or when are uh, a uh, 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 final point I suppose given the time, but they're quite an interesting discussion as well within all sports. I suppose it depends where the women's game or the women's team in particular are at and whether whether they then want to stand alone for for every fixture the in women's t20 team often played on the same day as the men's to to try and grow now they wouldn't do that because they feel like they are an entity with with their own and can deliver a crowd are you within sale would double headers work for you or not
1: yeah it's a difficult one i think we'd we'd probably love to do it you know, with the with the guys at the AJ Bell, because of the feeling and the yeah. probably more the emotional tie rather than anything else. Um, you know, when we play double headers, it's it's usually nice because we get to play in a in a better on a better yeah. surface and a and, you know better facilities, better pitch, that kind of stuff. And then obviously you've got the experience of crowd environment. You know, all that kind of stuff is invaluable to to the exposure you give to players to help them develop and and manage in those scenarios. But Yeah, I guess when you talk about it from a logistical point of view, you know, it can be an absolute nightmare. You're a bus, everything's later. You got either before you're either after. You're in the changing rooms out the back. There's like there's so many, you know, parts you'd probably want to iron out that we that we work so hard for. But then at the moment, it's a bit it's one of those scenarios where we we need that exposure and we need it to grow. So it's a bit of a you have to sort of take it and take it on the chin. and, And like I said, probably use it more as that experience for players to to have that exposure at that level and experience it in a different environment.
3: Yeah, I mean, we, we've done double, not in the Etihad, but because our our stadiums across the road in the, in the academy stadium. So we've had, we've been on before and then the men's games on after. So, but we've never really seen a big upsurge in, in the attendance, to, to, to be honest. The only time we did was actually when we played Chelsea and the men were playing Chelsea straight after. So you were able to then draw on the away fans as well and get and try and bring them into into the game, but because the fan base is so different as well, it, I, for me in football it probably doesn't it doesn't work and there's no, there's no need to.
0: Fac- facilities are key though, yeah. aren't they as well? I mean, we were at the the Rugby League World Cup final together, right? The most inclusive tournament there has been, and it was great. And the women's finals before the men's final, but as I walked out at the end of that day the women's teams have been in two porter cabins round the back of the stretford end and the ma- and that that is what it boils down to facilities as as well if you're going to have double headers or whatever it may be you need you need four change rooms and <laughs> you so, need four sometimes if you're going to do it do you know don't what, need well, two porter cabins round the back sometimes it's
2: just that people haven't thought of it cuz it's happened to me loads of times when i was boxing obviously I've retired now but when i was boxing Uh, I've always been on men's shows as a professional. Uh, There were some as an amateur, which were just women's shows. And obviously the tournaments like World Championships, Europeans were were all, you know, they're either male or female. But um, certainly in the pros, I was the only female at any of those shows. And sometimes I'd turn up and they'd say, you'll have to get warmed up in there. And I was like, that's a toilet. (laughs) Who my opponent's gonna have to come in and use that as well? While well, I'm not, I'm not warming up in there, and they'd be like, "Well, you can't go with the men," and it's not like everyone's walking around yeah. naked anyway. But even if it's all men, like you just don't do that. It's just weird, you know, in a boxing environment because you warm up in the place that you get changed. So you go away somewhere, get your gear on, come, and then you warm up doing pads and etc that's what you do Um, because there's a lot of other people wandering around like cameras and stuff so you don't tend to do it there was no problem warming up with you know and in the end we said to the all the organizers I'm just doing pads like everyone else nothing weird's gonna happen it'll all be fine I'm not warming up in a toilet but you know if you I was older by then and had a lot of experiences and a little toolkit if you like with which to challenge that sometimes when you're younger male or female you don't quite have that confidence and, and to articulate that and you just kind of go, okay, and then end up in a freezing cold toilet warming up in a, in a yeah. two-foot space. It's ridiculous. You so, should be
3: grateful for having yeah, exactly,
2: that. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. We'll I'm giving you a toilet. Oh, cheers, that's, that's great. I get a bog <laughs> to warm up in. Thanks a lot. So, yeah, it's a bit of challenging. it, And then often when you put it to people and say, this is a bit silly, isn't it? Then they'll go, ah. And it's just that they haven't thought of it because they haven't had that experience themselves often. And that's, that's why, again, why representation can be pretty important
0: finally does it feel at the start of something exciting and special here
2: here yeah
1: 100 percent. and i think we've got a, a massive opportunity to to drive it and you know hopefully learn those lessons that have gone before us and and do something a little bit different as well that's that's probably the the hope and the ambition you know we want to be ambitious and the the club are fully supported. Great right, here,
2: uh, I want to come and play. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> <My> <laughs> knees, my knees,
0: if <laughs> if that but uh, as a as a region, there are so many uh, there are so many different clubs to, to pick their expertise as well, aren't they? Across the across the sports.
1: Yeah, and, and we are lucky that there are some of, you know, the world's best as well teams like not just you know not just local to us, they're actually world leading, um, which is really great. And you know, like we said, that growth comes from you know, either a crossover of business, a crossover of different world um, experiences, you know, you've got your football, netball, everything is, you know, thriving up here as well as rugby league. So it's just it's just making sure that we, we, we get the, the audience for it really and make sure that people have the opportunity
0: should they want to take it. Good stuff. All three of you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank, Thank you.
4: you. Hello, my name is Katana Howard, and this week we're getting to know my teammates.
5: Hi, I'm Nick James. I am a prop for Sale Sharks as well as USA, and I'm originally from Texas. How did you get into rugby? What was your start? Um, so I played several different sports in high school, um, one of which being American football, and a guy that went to the same school that I did um, met a rugby player, recommended I give it a try. Um, so I went to tryouts. Um, Loved it, enjoyed it, stuck with it. But if it weren't for like the university sports fairs or him actually saying specifically, you should go try this out. I don't know that I would have ever found rugby. It wasn't very prominent at the time. Now rugby is growing. We've got more high school teams, more youth teams, um, and a lot more university teams. But it's uh, been a slow growing.
4: Did you always want to be a professional rugby player?
5: Honestly, no. I didn't even think it was feasible or possible. Um, I thought I would coach and teach for the rest of my life, but when I had a shot at the national team and saw the benefits it had, I wanted to pursue it with as much as I could. Who's your biggest childhood influence? Biggest childhood influence? Um... In rugby terms, it would probably be Tracy and Wendy Young. They were my first all-star team coaches. They encouraged me all along the way. They still come and support and encourage me. Um, And honestly, if it weren't for them, I probably would have fizzled out of rugby after college. What's the best piece of advice you've ever had? Best piece of advice would be, remember you're selected for what you can do, not for what you can't do. Yes. Snaps on that one. Career highlight. It's the top. Career highlight. Uh, Going to two World Cups is... Probably the ultimate highlight.
4: Nice. Um, do you have any superstitions?
5: I'm not a really superstitious person. Like I do knock on wood just because I feel like I want to cover my bases, but I don't really believe it's gonna actually have an impact.
4: Um, best thing about being a shark.
5: Best thing about being a shark is that tenacity and that northern grit, and just having to fight for everything, not being given or you know, just handed things. We have to fight for all of it. Um. Hobbies outside of the game? I don't have a lot of hobbies outside of the game. If I had one, it would be going to the movies, watching movies. I'm a big movie fan.
4: What's the latest one you've seen?
5: Uh, last movie I saw was Quantum Mania, Ant Man and the Wasp. Is there Pretty any? Good.
4: Is there any you want to see coming up?
5: Um, I want to see Creed three. Oh um, yeah, I did. I, see that. Yeah, great. I feel like we've had a lot of boxing movies lately, but just, um, can't get still, enough. Yeah, it's still a good show. Mm. Um.
4: Do you have any unusual talents?
5: Uh, not really. I did one time build a cardboard boat with my classmates and sail it in a wave pool for a class project.
4: That's that sounds actually dangerous though.
5: It was yeah, it was pretty entertaining.
4: <laughs> okay, what about what's uh, something we
5: don't know about you? Uh, honestly. <coughs> no idea. oh <laughs> being from texas i did compete in beauty pageants as a kid Aww. yeah didn't go very well but Not hey at least stellar. you tried something hey i'm all about experiences exactly a youth beauty pageant is typically you have this really nice fancy evening gown type dress you do an interview they ask you a few questions um depending on which one you go to sometimes you'll do like a couple different outfits um and maybe just demonstrate a hobby or a talent but what was your hobby slash talent thank god the one i did didn't have me do that
4: oh my gosh next one you're just cleaning (laughs) yeah
5: (laughs) cleaning a barbell (laughs) just out there lifting on stage
4: yeah we don't do that in minnesota
5: that's for sure (laughs) yeah probably for the best okay
0: Uh, that's it thanks for listening i'll be back next month with another episode in the meantime, to find out more about the club or let us know what you want to hear on this pod, you can find Sales sharks on Instagram or Twitter. <laughs>